This is a work that is the Egyptian landscape with a, with a distant view of the pyramids, and it's the Temple of Edfu in the center, a, a line of camels with riders riding across the desert, and off in the background there are the pyramids and the Sphinx, which is uh, very small between the first two pyramids that we see. And of course, as the, the catalog notes uh, and has been well noted, that, that this temple is about 500 miles away from the pyramids. Uh, so this is not an accurate representation of the Egyptian landscape as, as you would see it. It's a composite view of pastiche that he, it's, it's an invention. Today on The Backstory, we're taking a look into treasures of British art 1400 to 2000, the Burger Collection which is in its final month at the Portland Museum of Art. As you can guess from the exhibition title, the Berger Collection presents artworks from more than 600 years of British history, ranging from one of the last surviving religious panels of the 14th century to contemporary artwork from the 21st. During those six centuries, a lot happened. Wars were fought, plagues occurred, monarchs came and went, and most importantly for an art museum like the PMA, art and the ideas of how we interpret art changed. And that's what we're going to look at today, specifically how one piece of art, its meaning and its legacy has changed in the 150 years since its creation, and what significance this should have on the visitors who come to the PMA and see it in this exhibition. I recently sat down with Andrew Eschelbacher, the Susan Donnell and Harry W. Conkle Assistant Curator of European Art, to discuss David Roberts' Egyptian Landscape with a distant view of the pyramids, 1862. David Roberts is a Scottish-born artist, um, born near Edinburgh or in Edinburgh. Um, Roberts went to Spain and Morocco in 1832 to 1833, and then went to Egypt and the Middle East starting in 1838 and stayed there until about 1839. Roberts was not alone in making these types of pastiche images, especially about places like Egypt. Um, Egypt held a special place in European, French, and British arts specifically of the 19th century. It was rich with history, it was iconic, it was Egypt of the pharaohs, there was an interest in the archaeology. Uh, the Rosetta Stone is found and, and translated in this period. So Egypt becomes a place that is, that is fascinating. Um, and in many ways, it continues to be fascinating. The ancient Egypt continues to be a fascinating place for us to talk about today. As I spoke with Andrew, I noticed how measured he was in the way he spoke about Egypt in this context. He was very intentional with his phrasing and spoke about Robert's Egypt deliberately and with care. As it turned out, Though we began speaking about the artwork, we were circling some pretty polemic topics. So Robert's interest in Egypt, in these tours of Egypt, emerges from some of those currents of it being a place of, of mystery, a place that's fascinating. And, and I understand saying that mystery is, is a problematic term, and, and I mean it in that, in that problematic way in the way that it, it hooks into ideas of, of Orientalism and this construction of Egypt um, and the construction of the Orient as something that's different. That construction of Egypt and the construction of the Orient are investigated most notably through Edward Said's 1978 book, Orientalism. 
The book is credited with founding the field of postcolonial studies and has been hugely influential in shaping the way late 20th and early 21st century scholars, students, and historians speak about ideas of difference, exoticism, and the idea of the other. Central to this text is the idea that Western nations viewed Eastern countries, customs, and people through a patronizing gaze, and that the depictions of those societies through writing and art were inherently problematic because they furthered the Western imperialist cause by highlighting this difference negatively. Said's ideas of Orientalism can be seen while viewing Robert's painting, in that they not only depict a scene which didn't exist, but also his choice to depict the Grand Pyramids alongside a band of spear-toting riders in front of a temple in visible ruin. I don't mean to make it as direct as this, as Roberts was thinking about the British Empire and the growing forces of British imperialism and thinking about how Britain is now taking the place of, of Egypt. But uh, it's not so direct. It's not a one-for-one. One. But in that, we have this idea that civilizations move forward. There's this very powerful idea of progress that happens in the 19th century and sequence that happens. And this idea that look at this, these great structures, these most beautiful structures that are now falling, that are now in disrepair, that they're not cared for in, in these ways. And if you look closely in the foreground, you have people who are just lounging in these spaces. Um, so it's the beauty, it's the wonder, it's these great details, the ceiling painting. Um, some of the relief on the architecture, the sculptural relief on that um, lintel that comes across towards the middle of the picture plane from shadow to light, that in that there's these great details that shows the, Robert's real respect for the exquisite art of the period, but it, there's a tension with the fact that it's crumbling. And that tension is not so innocent, that there's, there's something powerful in that, about this idea of Egypt being this space of past glory, now being a place that is fallen. We're intentionally digging pretty deep here, and are looking at this painting through a vantage point that is no more than 40 years old. In all honesty, we have no idea how Roberts felt about his subjects, and Andrew was quick to point that out. <laughs> yes, I'm always wary of, uh, of psychoanalyzing someone who, who passed away um, 150 years ago or 160 years ago, so I want to be careful about that. But Roberts was not alone in making these types of pastiche images, especially about places like Egypt. But to show a ruin, to show one of the most beautiful structures that we see being a ruin, says something about the passing of a civilization's glory. To be fair, when Andrew walked into my office to tape this interview, let's just say he was cautiously optimistic that this look into Robert's work would not come off as some tirade against the imperialist and racist painters of the past. I'm a little nervous, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm a little nervous about this. Never recorded a podcast before? Never recorded a podcast before. You've, you've done ne radio though, right? Nope. I don't know. Never recorded a podcast, never done radio, never, um, never have had myself recorded talking about something that is potentially polemic. Um, so that's where we are. Yeah. So, are we recording now? Oh yeah. I figured. Joking aside, Andrew's apprehension is pretty valid. We spoke at length about how viewing artworks 
through a post-Edward Said vantage point could be dicey in its own right. For one, though enormously influential, Said's work has been challenged in recent years, and is not unchallenged even in the field of post-colonialism. Second, it can often support a notion that any and all Western representations of the East are inherently bad, which is never that simple. Lastly, and most importantly for someone like Andrew, a sharp focus on historical context and its ramifications can place unfair conclusions upon artists who painted well over a century before these ideas of Orientalism took hold. We are making this a far more problematic image through the lens of history and through the lens of, of developments in post-colonial theory um, that are not necessarily fair to assign to to people in the 1860s. That's not to say that the issues aren't there, but the way that we talk about it, um, we need to, to talk about it with an understanding that we have the benefit of 150 years. Um, and that's, that's something that's significant. Also significant, which Andrew was sure to mention, was that viewing a painting too closely through the lens of political and social theory can shift the focus away from what is undoubtedly an incredible piece of art. The Roberts painting is a beautiful, beautiful work of art. And the finish on the work of art, it's a high finish. It's a really elegant painting. They're, they're beautiful works of art, not unproblematic, but beautiful works of art. I just have to chime in here and second Andrew's opinion. This painting is stunning. Roberts has three paintings in this exhibition and you can see them all, expertly grouped together by Karen Sherry the PMA's curator of this exhibition. The three paintings of Roberts are even more interesting when viewed together. In addition to the pyramids, there's a large painting of a cathedral in Pisa. Finally, there's a painting of similar scale of St. Peter's looking back at Rome. This painting in particular relates to the pyramids painting because it represents a Roman basilica that never really existed in this form. And this is another one where this is a, a beautiful painting, but we have to ask ourselves whether or not this is something that he actually would have seen with life around this massive structure that's so significant um, for the story of Christendom and so significant in the center of one of the world's busiest cities. Be so quiet and so mellow. Probably not. And that's his point. There are so many ways to view paintings like this that focusing on just one, even while it highlights important aspects of an artist's work, doesn't always tell the whole story. These are, these are really complicated issues that often when you say Orientalism, it means bad. Um, and I think, and I think that scholarship shows that it's more complicated than that. That's the fun about it, is that it's, it's not straightforward. Um, that's, that's the fun, it's, the, it's, it's messy. And there are some direct lines and there are some very broken and jagged lines and lines that don't connect to anything. Um, and that's what makes it, sometimes you ask why our history is important and why we need to, why museums are important and why studying our history in school is important. And it's the, these are images that still tell us a lot about today. Music on the Backstory was graciously provided by local Portland bands Vio Mire, Brenda, and Graham Kay. Their albums are online and available on iTunes, Spotify, and all sorts of places, so be sure to check them out if you like what you heard. I want to thank Andrew Eschelbacher for taking the time to sit down with me and share his insights into this work. 
You can see much more of Andrew's work beginning January 30th when the Coast and the Sea Marine and Maritime Art in America opens at the PMA. A special thanks to Karen Sherry, Curator of American Art and Director of Collections, for her help in putting this series of podcasts together. Her exhibition, Treasures of British Art 1400 to 2000, The Burger Collection, is what inspired us to start making the backstory, and we're grateful for her support. You can hear her on our very first episode of The Backstory, which you can find on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, available for download or stream. Treasures of British Art 1400 to 2000, The Burger Collection, is on view now at the PMA, so you can come see the artworks we're talking about live and in person. The exhibition features the most significant private collection of British artwork in the United States. It's a great thing to do before the holidays take over your life and, heck, maybe even round up your visiting friends and family and make a day of the exhibition. We're open every day but Christmas and New Year's Day. The exhibition is organized by the Denver Art Museum and made possible by the Burger Collection Educational Trust. Foundation support is provided by FM Kirby Foundation. Corporate support is provided by Human and the Bear Bookshop, Marble Vermont. Media sponsorship is provided by WCSH6.